Blessings to you, my friend. This is Pastor McGee with Empowerment Ministries Christian Center, and you're listening to Empower the City Podcast. I pray today that your hearts are blessed, minds renewed, and you are infused with the passion to serve God like never before. Blessings to you, and enjoy the message. Well, blessings to you. This is the day that the Lord has made. We choose to rejoice and be glad in it. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us on tonight. Um, what you're about to experience tonight and for the next three uh, weeks, actually four weeks, is something that God slow cooked in my spirit concerning racial reconciliation. Yes, we understand that in our country right now, we're in the middle of a, a racial unrest um, all over our country right now. And to be honest with you, when God began to just stir my heart with this, I really didn't see as the reason why he wanted me to because uh, there's so many other voices that are ministering that are speaking that are that are articulating truths concerning everything that's going on not just the case with George Floyd but just the tension that's going on and has been going on for some time now within our country uh, but nevertheless God spoke to me and he began to stir my heart with what I'm getting ready to share with you guys again tonight and for the next four nights um, four weeks, excuse me, um, concerning the solution, concerning answers. That's right. I don't want to just highlight problems. Uh, we could talk about those all day long, but I want to deal with some solutions in particularly for the body of Christ, because this is what I'm finding. This is what I'm seeing across the globe for the believers. We are allowing external factors to bring division internally. And I'm telling you tonight that the devil is absolutely a liar. That is not the will of God, my friend, that no matter what's going on around us, it should not bring about division inside the body of Christ, but we should we should join together. We should band together like never before. One of my mentors, I heard him say a few weeks ago that the heart, that the church is the heart of the nation. And when he first said it, I just kind of held it right here. But as I begin to meditate on that thought, even the more that the church, the body of Christ, the people of God, truly we are the heart of the nation. And what that simply means, that, that the head can be dysfunctional, the hands can be can do whatever they want to do, the feet unable to operate. But if, if the heart ever shuts down, the whole body dies and that's what the enemy is trying to do he's trying to kill the heart of the nation the children of God and the body of Christ by bringing about division rendering us dysfunction in this hour but the devil come on somebody is absolutely a liar so I just want to dive into what it is that God has rested upon my heart and please understand I'm not an attorney I'm, I'm not a judge I'm not a politician I'm a man of God that's right so my gift tonight to the people of God is who God has made me to be and so I'm just going to minister out of the text the book of Luke chapter number 10 verses number 30 will be our foundational text on tonight and I hope you have your Bible I hope you're taking good notes because I believe that this is going to bless your socks off that's right with your shoes still on book of Luke chapter number 10 verses number 30 EMCC let's make our declaration of faith if we can if you have your Bible or your electronic device lift it above your head and shout this is my Bible I am what it says I am I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer and not just a hearer. And my life, come on everybody, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Again in the book of Luke chapter number 10 verses number 30. The Bible declares, in reply Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. The Bible declares they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half 
dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 32 declares, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Verses number 34 declares, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man in it on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when he returned, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Father, now in the name of the Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for an opportunity, God, to minister the word of God to your people on tonight. Realize, God, of myself, I am not worthy, God. I feel like Moses. Who am I that I should deliver such a word to a people? But even in the response, I'm encouraged because you told Moses, it's not about who you are. It's about me being with you, Father. And I know that you're with me tonight. The anointing of God that lives in me, I pray that you would rest upon me so that I would properly, properly minister the word of God to your people on tonight. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. One of the things that my mentor, my father in the gospel actually taught me years ago as I began to minister, preach, and teach, um, he would share with me often that it's not about intellectualizing the word of God to make people understand, but if you want the word to stick, not only does it have to have meaning, not only does you have to make it understand, understanding, but you need to emotionally connect with your congregation, with the people of God that you're preaching and teaching to. And one of the ways that he would encourage me is to literally throw myself into the text. And that's, that's the phrase that he would often say, Greg, throw yourself into the text. So in this particular story, what I did, I threw myself in the shoes of the priest, I threw myself in the shoes of the Levi, and I tried to walk as they walked, looking at a man that's, that's been beaten down, and I, I tried to experience the feeling of what it was like to see somebody that's in desperation and turn a blind eye and act as if that you haven't seen anything. The scripture teaches that the priest, that, she, that he saw him, and he turned his head and he went on about his business. The Bible goes on to say how that the Levi not only saw him go over to him, checks on him, and then turns his head and forgets what he saw. I, I try to throw myself in the text in this particular chapter. And so after throwing myself into the text, a question came to mind. And, and watch the wisdom. I'm getting ready to go, go directly to, to the point. I asked myself the question, is there a possibility that the priest or the Levi, could they be a racist or a classist? Now, y'all stay with me just for a moment. Don't turn me off. I ain't going left field. I'm, I'm, I'm in the vein of God tonight. I had to at least pose the question for, for, this, for these men, these men of God, actually to look at a desperate situation and to turn their eyes as if they didn't see anything. I had to at least ask the question, is there a possibility that, that these men, that they are racist? Now, I'm defining racism as the belief that a particular ethnicity is superior or inferior to another. So in essence, the priest, when he looked at this man, did he think that he was better than him? And because he thought he was better than him, he just turned his head and forgot all about him well to get the real meaning and the understanding of what's going on in this particular text you actually got to go up a couple of verses to get the understanding why Jesus even gives this parable in the first place the scripture teaches that there was a man a scribe a lawyer that came to Jesus and he posed a question to Jesus and he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life 
Jesus looks at him and he says, he says, what is written in the law? And the, the, the lawyer, the scribe retorts back and he says, the law teaches that you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responds to him, you have answered correctly. Now verse number 29, this is crazy because after Jesus checking, yes, you have answered correctly. Then the lawyer retorts again and he says, but he wanted to justify himself, the scripture declares, and he asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? My God, I want to press pause there just for a second. He asked Jesus the question because he said, Gee, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does the law say? The law says, you do this, you do that, you do this, you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? And that's the question in many of our heads that we have posed. And because we have given the wrong answer, we have isolated ourselves from being the aid that we could be to other people. Because the reality is, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. If you can tell me who my neighbor is, then I can choose who not to love. I want to let that just marinate in the atmosphere just for a moment. If you can tell me, my friend, who my neighbor is, come on somebody, then I get to choose who not to love. If my neighbor are just the people within my neighborhood, then if something has happened across town, that is none of my business. If my neighbor is just the individuals within my cubicle, then whatever's happening in another department has nothing to do with me. If my neighbors, my friend, are just Americans, then bump Africa, bump China, bump Japan. Come on somebody. What's happening in the rest of the world never it makes no never mind if my neighbor is just the people around me so so when he asked this question who is my neighbor it, it pricks something on the inside of Jesus and Jesus launches into this parable and Jesus says again there was a man a certain man he was attacked he was robbed he was stripped and he was left half dead the Bible declares that a priest comes over and he sees what's going on with this man and he goes on about his business now I can pause there for a moment and maybe I could take up for the priest because within the law there is this rule that if you are a priest and you touch somebody that's dead it renders you unable to fulfill your, your priestly duty so I could see the priest possibly thinking that this man is dead and if he's dead I can't even fool with him but, but this Levi come on somebody he goes over not only just see the man the scripture declares that he goes over and checks on the man he sees that the man is alive and he keeps on about his business I pose the question, is there a possibility that the priest, the Levite, are they actually racist? Uh, when I really look at this particular text, I don't see racism. I don't see, I don't see classism. I'm going to tell you what I see in this particular text. I see what Miles McPherson calls unconscious in-group bias. Yeah, if you're following me, I want you to, I want you to jot that down. Just, just jot that down, unconscious in-group bias. I see you, Fraxine. Marquille, come on and talk to me. Unconscious. And I want to I wanna unpack this thought for a second. Whenever we speak concerning an in-group, we're talking about any group you identify with based on race, religion, gender, or profession. In-group. How you define yourself is how you will draw the boundaries of your, your in-group. So within my in-group, um, primarily they're African-American men. That's, that's my, my in-group. Um, most of these African-American men are married. The majority of them are in some form of ministry. Some of them are pastors. Some of them are full-time ministry. Some of them, they work in just other areas, prison ministry, so forth and so, so on. That's, that's my in-group. 
These are the people I kind of identify with. These are people that I kick it with. And if you would just be honest with yourself, you have an in-group as well. Your in-group is probably defined by the people that you go to work with. For some of you guys, it's the people that you go to church with. You, you usually have this major thing of interest, and then there are these smaller things around this major thing that draw you guys together. We all have in-groups. The issue is, the problem is, when we allow our in-group to become biased. Now, let me define in-group bias. In-group bias is the tendency to give preferential treatment to members of our in-group while withholding it from our out-group. I'll say that again. An in-group bias is the tendency to give preferential treatment to members of our in-group while withholding it from our out-group. So Miles McPherson, he, def he, he highlights the attitude of an individual who has an in-group bias. He says, uh, I am more comfortable with those like me. I am more inclined to spend time with those like me. I am more patient with those like me. I give the benefit of the doubt quicker to those who are like me. I express more grace when mistakes are made by those who are like me. It is easier to communicate with those like me. I assume I will get along easier with those like me. I am more willing to go out of my way to help those who are like me. I possess more positive assumptions about those who are like me as opposed to those who are your outgroup. When you have an outgroup bias, there's a, there's a certain attitude that you have pe towards people who are in your outgroup. And he highlights again, he says, I am less comfortable with those not like me. I am less inclined to spend time with those not like me. I am less patient with those not like me. I don't give the benefit of the doubt quicker to those like me. I offer less grace when mistakes are made by those who are not like me. It is more difficult to communicate with those not like me. I don't assume the best. I don't assume I will get along with those who are not like me. I am, I am less willing to go out of my way to help those who are like me. And finally, I possess fewer positive assumptions about those who are not, not like me. We're talking about in-group bias, and, and so I'm not really tackling the major beast of racism, but what I am looking at, I'm looking at some of these underlying things that speak to racism. Now, follow me for a second. This particular message that, that I'm ministering today, this is something that God gave me about a year ago. In, in 2019 of February, preparing for Black History Month, God birthed into my spirit to start talking about racial reconciliation. And I'll be honest with you, that was the first time that I spent an entire series talking about racial reconciliation. Um, I, had, I had spoken on it before. I had ministered concerning this idea before, but spending an entire four to five weeks speaking about racial reconciliation, I had never done that before. And, and I remember finishing my series in January, and I had put some thoughts together, put some notes together, but I was really just uneasy going into this particular series because, to be honest with you, I didn't think that it was relevant to my congregation because my congregation, we're about 90% African American, we're 90% black, so I didn't think that speaking about racial reconciliation was really, really, it, it, that it needed to be talked about. Until one day, I want to show you something. I'm getting ready to show you two pictures. One picture, one picture, it melted my heart. The other picture, it broke my heart. Now watch this. We were preparing for Family and Friends Day prior to me getting ready to minister on rec racial reconciliation. And, and in, our, in our Family and Friends Day, it's really a setup. <laughs> yeah, because one of the things that we try to do here at EMCC, we try to uh, create a seeker-friendly environment. In essence, you don't have to be perfect to come to our church. You got to be hungry, though. 
<laughs> you don't have to have it all together, but you at least got to want something. And, and if you at least just want something, the scripture declares those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be what, y'all? They shall be filled. So, so I was encouraging the saints of God that this is an opportunity. I, I know your cousin Pookie. I know Shakika Neal. They'll come for Easter. They might come for Thanksgiving. They might show up for Christmas. But, but Easter is quite, a, uh, it's quite a distance away. Let's create an environment. Let's give, you, let's give them a reason to show up. So we hyped up this idea of family and friends day and, and man, we were, we were sending out invitations and we were blowing up Facebook and I encouraged all the saints of God. I said, find somebody that needs to be saved. I don't care if it's your friend or your enemy, just find somebody that needs to be saved. So in preparation to this message of racial reconciliation, I'm, I'm looking at the pictures from family and friends day and this first picture, man, it melted my heart. If you can see, the, the altar is crowded, man. The altar is packed out. And, and this is for, for my preachers and teachers. You know, there are certain messages that you preach that you know wasn't that good. <laughs> Come on, somebody. But the results that you get from the message, you know that that had to be God because you ain't that skillful to draw a crowd like that. When I looked at the pictures of the altars, I'm talking about packed out. And, and yes, this picture is, is pre, that's right, pre-COVID-19. Come on. Anyway, when I looked at this particular picture and I saw the altar packed out, man, my heart melted. I was so satisfied to see so many people coming to Jesus. It wasn't even a hard altar call. I didn't have to beg people. I didn't have to spend 15, 20, 30 minutes trying to pull on people. As soon as I was done preaching, man, I just posed the question, who wants Jesus? And they bombarded the, office, my, the, 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 the altar. My, my heart was full, man. I was looking at this, this picture in my heart. My heart was full. And then I looked at this next picture. And, and my heart went from being melted to being broken because I started thinking again because I'm preparing a message for racial reconciliation and, and I encourage all the people of God to go out and invite people to church, invite people to church. And they, as you can see in the picture, you can go, go to the next picture. As you can see, this house is packed out pre-COVID <laughs> once again. It's packed out. Folks even standing in the back because they don't have room to, to sit. My heart went from melting looking at the altar call to broken looking at the people sitting in the pews because the question came to mind. Out of all the people that we invited to church, it's a whole bunch of black folk up in here. I had to think about that for a second. Out of all the saints that went out and invited people to church, it seems as though that we only invited black people. <laughs> I, I had to question, I had to question myself and, and I posed the question to the congregation. Is there a possibility that EMCC, that we have an unconscious in-group bias? That when we extend invitations to come worship with us, that we only reach out to people who look like us. And if we black, we only invite black people. If we are a realtor, we only invite realtor. You mean to tell me there were no white people that you passed? There were, watch this. this. This community that this church sits in right now is filled with Hispanics all around us. You mean to tell me that coming to church, you didn't, you didn't pass not one Mexican. You didn't, you didn't pass not one Hispanic anywhere that you could invite it to. Is there a possibility that we have a tendency, tendency to give preferential treatment to members 
in our in-group while withholding it from our out-group. And this is my challenge to the body of Christ. I'm, I'm talking to the people of God right right now. Is, is, there, is there a possibility that even in the midst of all that's going on right now, maybe you are not a racist, but maybe there's a possibility that you have an in-group bias in your heart where you on purpose give preferential treatment to people who look like you. I'll never forget um, several, several months ago, several months ago, uh, sometime on last year, um, I went in this particular store and, and I and I enjoy running. I know you can't look at me and just tell, praise the Lord, but I really do enjoy running. And um, whenever I run, th these these big in my neighborhood, it's like these big flies. They always come and just tag my head. And so I always run with the hat and I usually just wear out the hat, wear it for a couple of months, sometimes a year, and then I'll just toss it. So I go into this this um this particular store and they have all of these D1 school hats. And I'm talking about this is this is good quality type stuff. And they're all marked down to like $2 a piece. These hats are normally $25, $30. All of them are marked down to $2 a piece. I'm talking about USM, which is, which is my, my school I graduated from, um, Ole Miss, um, Mississippi State, all, all these D1 schools. So, so what did I do? I bought all of them. What did I buy all of them? They're just $2. I'm just going to run in them. I'm, I'm, not doing, I'm not wearing them outside of the house. So... One day I went jogging and um, just threw on one of the hats. And um, when I get back from jogging, my, my wife comes and she says, Greg, I need you to run and, and do something for me. And she, she gave me a list of things she needed me to do. So I didn't have time to freshen up, didn't have time to change. I just went on and took care of business, what she wanted me to take care of. I go into this one particular store. Now, watch the way. I go into this one particular store and, and this, this, this white lady she looks at me and she smiles and she looks around and she says and i'm like okay i'm in a rush anyway so it's, it's okay I'd, I'd love to go ahead and and get out of the way and, and she 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 watch this she prefers me above everybody else that's in the building so she handled we handle business i do what we need to do and when I'm leaving, I'm confused because th this is, this is kind of odd. And when I leave, I'm halfway out of the door, and she says, Hadi Tadi. Now, for you Ole Miss graduates, Hadi Tadi, Akuta Matata, however you say it, I don't know how you say it. She says, Hadi Tadi. And I'm like, Akuta Matata to you too? <laughs> watch, watch this. She showed me preferential treatment because she thought. I was in her in-group. And I'm telling you guys that within the body of Christ, there are too many of us that suffer with this tendency. I'm showing you again the definition of in-group bias, the tendency to give preferential treatment to members of our in-group while withholding it from our out-group. There's too much of a tendency in the body of Christ. Come on, somebody, to give that. I'll give you another example. And I'm, it, it, Would it be okay if I just be transparent? Because if I be real, it might force you, my friend, just to look at yourself in the mirror and be real yourself. I was in a school, it was in-school ministry, and um, I, was, I wasn't speaking that particular day. I was just kind of helping out. And um, as, as the, 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 the guy was finishing, he was closing out, all the students were, were walking out. And um, this, this white, white student, he walks past me, and he kind of has, has his head, head down. And I, I just speak, hey, man, how you doing? And uh, he says, hey, sir, and, and he goes on about his, about his business. So not even five seconds later, 
black kid walks past me as well with his head down. And I say to him, what's up, man? Give me some. And I give him a fist bump. Now, now watch this. I thought nothing of that until I started studying this. The question is, Pastor McGee, I'm telling can I can I be transparent? Because if I be transparent, it might force you, sir, to look at your own self. I had to ask myself the question, why is it that I just spoke to the white kid, but when it came to the black kid, I said, well, I gave him a fist bump. I, I added a little culture. I added a little flavor to my hello to him. Why is it? Pastor McGee, is there a possibility that you, sir, even you have suffered with some in-group in bias? And, and this is what's sad. This is what's sad. In-group bias, again, is this tendency to give preferential treatment to members of in-group while withholding it from the out-group. I gave the black kid a whole lot of love. I, didn't give the, I, I spoke to the white kid, but he didn't get as much love as the black kid. This is what God broke my heart with as I began to meditate on this. What if the white kid was the one suffering from suicide? And because of my in-group bias, because of my tendency to give preferential treatment to folk that look like me, I missed out an opportunity to show mad love because unconsciously I have a bias where I prefer folk that look like me and not. Never forget years ago, one of my, one of my friend's dad God, he was, he, he, was, he was one of the head guys at one of the factories here on the coast. Watch this. Um, he, he got his son straight out of high school. I'm talking about one of the top-level jobs in the company. His son didn't have the educational experience. He didn't have, he didn't have anything. He was getting top pay grade. He was, I'm talking about everything. Just, We're just having a casual conversation about it, and I just asked him, why did he give his son that, that, that status of a job? This is what he told me. He says, oh, God. He said, I did it to my son. Now, we're talking about a black guy. He said, I did it for my son because they do it for their children. Now, watch this. It wasn't even a year that his son quit. He just woke up one morning and said, I ain't going to work. Here's the question. Who did my friend's father miss out on a chance to give a great opportunity to because they didn't look like him. And when he finally had an opportunity to promote somebody, he didn't choose who was better for the job. I'm, I'm telling you, there's, okay, my, my black pastor, there's a possibility that you may have an in-group bias within yourself and in your congregation because everybody in your church looks like you my white pastors i love you but there's a possibility that you and your congregation just might have an in-group bias because everybody in the congregation looks like you my mixed my mixed congregational pastors i want to talk to you just for a second because i have pastors that come to me and they brag to me about having 30 they're, they're white pastors and in in my opinion they still a white church come on although you got 30 percent members your staff ain't 30 percent your board ain't 30%. Your leading elders is not 30% African-American. So you think you're a mixed church. You will not be a mixed church, sir, until your board, your staff, reflects the percentage of your church. Is there a possibility that it's okay for black people to come to your church, but you have an in-group bias? You have a preferential tendency to promote people on this level that look like I just want to challenge the body of Christ.
because I'm seeing craziness outside in the world and it might be okay for the world to be on fire. It might be okay for the world to be crazy, but in the body of Christ, come on somebody, it's not okay for us to be for, for us to be divided and fragmented. The devil is absolutely a liar. So if if you like me, <laughs> and, and I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I just want to help. Matt, what's, what's my time like? What's my time like? Whew, I've only been up 32 minutes. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, that, that, if, if, if that's you, and, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, ooh, okay, I'm going to be transparent again. I'm being too real in here. I'm being too real. God started dealing with me this about a year ago. He started dealing with me, and, and, and on purpose, on purpose, there's some things that I had to do, and I'm getting ready to show you that. Um, one of the reasons I had an in-group bias towards folks that look like me, I want to help, was because of the story that I grew up with and the people that spoke over me. i never forget, I was like 9, 10 years old, and I was in a store, and um, I remember, I remember this so clearly like it was yesterday. Um, there was a white lady she looked at me and she smiled at me. And I was with one of my uncles and I, and I told my uncles, I, I was again, seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there. I told my uncle, I said, hey, hey, aunt, that lady right there, she smiled at me. Watch this. My uncle looked me in my eyes seriously and he says, boy, don't you ever trust a white woman. Now, now what? The, the, the truth is... My uncle kind of trifling, so he probably has something going on anyway. But how many times can you be told don't trust white people until it starts unconsciously affecting decisions that you make? How, how many times can you, no, you're not a racist, but how many times can you be told or can it be inferred to you that you're better than black people that it starts unconsciously affecting you? Yeah, there, there, there's a, a, a minister that who I really love, and if you know who I'm talking about, you just do know who I'm talking about, but if you don't know who I'm talking about, don't sweat it, but, but a minister who I, who I love and I respect it, and um, recently he made some comments, and, and I, I've been following him for, for a while. I don't know him personally, but I've got an opportunity to glean um, from many of his staff members, and I know his heart. I know that he didn't mean any ill intent. But even someone on that stature, on that level, there's a possibility that he himself even suffers with an unconscious in-group bias. And if you, like me, God convicted my heart in 2019 that there's some in-group biases that you have. Not, nothing wrong with the in-group. I want to I wanna communicate that again. Uh, nothing wrong with the in-group. Not, nothing wrong with the in-group. Mm -mm. Yeah, I, I got black friends. I got a lot. Watch, watch this. And I got white friends. <laughs> and, and let me just press pause there just for a second. Uh, I, had to, I had to help one of my, my friends, one of my white friends, um, and he was trying to prove to me that he's not a racist because he has black friends. And, and I was telling him how ridiculous of a statement that is because I've actually known racists that have had a black friend. You know why they had a black friend? because the black guy had other strong areas of commonalities that I was able to actually look over your blackness but hate the other folk that look like you. 
So don't just throw this thing at me. I got black friends or I got white friends. No, we're not, we not doing none of that. Mm-mm. No, no. There might be a tendency that you have an in-group bias on the inside of you. And if, if that's you, number one, if you're jotting it down, I'm done. Number one, you just got to admit it. Admit it. Admit it. I got it. I'm not calling you a racist. I'm not calling you a classist. No, no, no. I'm saying that it might be something in your heart that's preventing your life to go to the next level in Jesus Christ. It might be something in your heart that's preventing the closeness of a relationship. And it might be this tendency to have prefer preferential treatment towards other people who look like you while you withhold it from folk that don't look like you. You got to admit it, my friend. I had to admit it. I had to admit it that it was there. If you don't reveal it, God can't heal it. So number one, you got to admit it. Number two, you have to intentionally give in-group treatment to your out-group. You have to make a decision. I'm telling you today, you have, to, you have to be intentional about this thing. So when I see the white kid, I got to make sure that I give him the same love. Come on, somebody, that I give. Am I making sense in this place at all? I got to make sure I give the same love. I mean, that's what Jesus would do. Jesus would be in a circle of a bunch of legalists. And see a woman thrown down in front of his feet, half naked, caught in the act of adultery. And he gives love to the out group, just as much love to the out group as he did the in group. He's coming to the earth for God so loved the world. Out group, come on somebody, that he gave his only begotten son. We have to practice that. You know why we got to practice it? Because that is the way that the world is going to know that we're really followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus instructed his disciples that the world will know who you are, not by your gifts, come on, not by your calling, not by your title, not even by your profession, but the world will know who you are by the love that you show one towards another. The love that you show one towards another is magnified when you can see my differences and yet love me. So I'm not one of the ones who say I don't see color. I know some of you guys say that. I do see color. And that's what magnifies my love. I'm able to see a difference between you and I and yet love you, yet love you anyway. Jesus is not colorblind. He sees exactly who we are and he chooses to love. He's not colorblind, neither is he sin blind. He sees our sin and he continues to love us. So number one, you have to admit personal in-group bias. Number two, intentionally give in-group treatment to out-group. Number three, and for some of you guys, this is going to hurt, but I'm going to say it anyway. You have to refuse to idolize in-group pain. Let me pause there for a second. You, you, sir, you have to refuse to allow your personal pain of your in-group experiences to be idolized to the point that you refuse to feel the pain of others. Because that's what's going on around our country right now. That's that's what the riots are all about. The riot is about, I'm hurt, so I want you to hurt. And I'm telling you today, as a believer, it's impossible for you to rightly ask God to heal your heart while wishing at the same time he would intensify the pain of others. As believers, we have to refuse to idolize our in-group pain. What does, that, what does that look like? That looks like the son, the, the, the mother, the mother that lost her baby boy, the mother that lost her son to, to, to violence. Watch this. Watch this. She can't idolize her pain to the point that she forgets about that other mother who lost her son. You lost your son to death, but that mama lost her son to prison for the rest of his life. Both pain. And as believers, I'm talking to Christians now. I don't care what group you're in. Every group has its pain. Every group 
has its own pain, and you cannot idolize your pain above everyone else's. Number four, and I'm done. If we're going to do this properly, we, we have to rely on the strength of God. If we're going to do it, we have to rely on the strength of God. So this is what it looks like. Um, we want healing in our land with our horizontal relationships. We, we want healing with our horizontal relationships. And God is warning you, sir, you, madam, within your sphere of influence to bring about healing in your sphere, sphere of influence in your horizontal relationships. Well, the only way that you can truly strengthen relationships horizontally is that the relationship vertically has to be strengthened. I'm telling you today, trying to love people that don't look like you in your own strength will wear you out. Trying to cater to people, trying, trying. I'm not talking about proving nothing. No, just giving as much love to somebody who don't look like you as you do to somebody who does look like you. It's easy to love somebody that's doing everything that you do. It's easy to love somebody who's doing things that you like to do. Easy to love. But it takes strength to love somebody who is outside of your, your in-group. If you're going to do it, my friend, you have to do it with the strength of God. So I want to pray for, I want to pray for a couple of people today. I've, ah, thank you guys so much for joining me. I, I want to pray for your relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're one of the ones who you really do love God. And as I was ministering, you begin to see yourself that maybe there are some biases that I have in my heart that I didn't even know was there. Maybe I do have a tendency to give preferential treatment to people who look like me and withhold it from folk who don't look like me. Well, my friend, the scripture declares if you confess your sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. God will not only forgive you of your sins, but he'll give you a brand new start. He will, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, but you have to confess it today. There's somebody under the sound of my voice. You don't even have a relationship with Jesus. You know the story. You, you, could, you could recite the story. You, can, you know the verses of, of the passion of Christ, but you've never actually made him the Lord of your life. And you're, you're looking and you're being challenged by something right now that you want to do differently. And you realize you can't do it within your own strength. No. I'm telling you today, my friend, tonight is the night that we bow our knees to Jesus Christ. Tonight is the night as the church, as the people of God, that we all fall down on our knees. I'm better than what I was in February. 2019 when God first impressed this message on my heart but I'm still not 100 and because I'm still not 100 I still should press in and ask God to give me the grace to love people who don't look like me to love people who don't act like me to even love people who don't believe like me one, one of one of my best friends one of one of my best friends that I love I love I love he doesn't even believe in Jesus the way that I do. But I love him. I love him. You know what I do? I give him love 
like I would love somebody that's praying with me, that's interceding with me, that's fasting with me. I, I do my best to give him that same because I do love him. If we're going to love people, it takes the strength of God. So I want to encourage you if, you, if you can, just for a moment, just bow with me. If, if you can. If you can. If you're driving, you don't, you, you better not. <laughs> Maybe you can pull over for a moment and just pause and bow your head. Because I want to pray for the body of Christ. I want to pray for the people of God. That even in a divided country, and whether you want to embrace that or not, my friend, we are a divided country. And you can slice this pie in all type of diff all type of shapes, forms. We're divided across the board. But the people of God, we do not. We do not have to be. That is an, a satanic attack of the enemy. Because he knows that there is strength. Watch this. Not in numbers, but there is strength in unity. The scripture teaches in Acts when the people of God, when they were in one place on one accord, suddenly something powerful happened when we will unify ourselves. So, Father, now in Jesus' name, God, I want to thank you for an opportunity to minister the word of God to your people on today. There are many of us, God, that have been convicted in our hearts and in our minds, God, concerning this thought of an unconscious in-group bias where we fleshly, carnally have a tendency to prefer people who look like us, act like us, talk like us, and unconsciously, some have called it racism, but it's not racism. We just have a bias where we have withheld love that we should have been given to somebody else so god i'm asking personally i'm asking on behalf of the body of christ every every minister every church every preacher every teacher every god the the nation needs the church god to be on one accord war can be divided but we cannot afford to be divided so i'm asking you jesus to forgive us god what we have sinned Forgive us all, Jesus, even from the garbage, God, that many of us have learned growing up as children, Father, things, slurs, and, and jargons, and cut downs, and, and secret things that we've learned against other races and other people. The devil is absolutely a God, I'm asking you to renew the minds of the people of God so that when we see them, Jesus, <laughs> we see you, Father. We see an opportunity to demonstrate love. I'm asking you now, God, to forgive us and to restore us. Help us to love each other. Help us to love you. I thank you and I bless you now. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, there are just a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted your life in any way and you'd love to help us to continue to impact the lives of others, go to our website, empowerthecity.org and select Give Now. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. We'll see you next time.